Moving day means that you and your things are in for a big transition. There's a lot to figure out. New closets, different counter space, change of floor plan. No worries. CubeSmart is here to help make your move as easy as possible. Online or in person, CubeSmart provides a self-storage experience that puts the focus on you because you matter most. Moving can be costly, and that's why CubeSmart is offering up to 25% off your monthly rent. Say goodbye to moving stress and hello to your new address with CubeSmart self-storage. Visit CubeSmart.com for more details. You're into your shows, right? Well, then listen up. If you have Xfinity Internet, entertainment starts at free with Flex, so you can get really into your shows. Find your favorites faster with just your voice. The Office. From Peacock to HBO Max and Disney+, Plus, the whole squad's here. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Man, he's moving. Xfinity. It's a way better way to watch. Restrictions apply. Subscriptions required to access streaming services, including Disney+. Plus. Requires postpaid Xfinity Internet, excluding Internet Essentials. One device included. Additional devices, $5 a month. Hi, I'm Chelsea Handler. Welcome to Life Will Be the Death of Me, a production of iHeartRadio. Hi, this is Chelsea Handler, and you're listening to Life Will Be the Death of Me podcast, which is about me having life beat the death of me, I guess. Well, it happens to everybody, so just watch your back. Anyway, I went on the road. Uh, I started my book tour, which is unlike any tour I've done because I'm having um, interviewers in different cities interview me. So I'm going to share with you one of my first shows, which was in Washington, D.C. at the Warner Theater with my friend Jake Tapper, who interviewed me, which was great, A, because he's a journalist and so he's really good at interviewing people, but B, because he's a friend of mine and uh, I don't have a ton of professional friends, so I consider him to be a professional friend even though I've seen him be unprofessional. Uh, So this is kind of the first conversation for my book tour to kind of talk to everybody about the themes of the book and all of the the issues in the book that resonated with people and where I was when I started writing it, where I am now, and um, where Jake Tapper and I are going. I'm gonna bring out my buddy uh, that was kind enough to say yes. to interview me tonight for this book. And uh, he's interviewed me before, I've met him several times and I like him a lot and I know everybody in this room likes him too. Please welcome Jake Tapper. Hey everyone. So the, you know Bob Mueller followed his report, right? And. My love is not conditional, Jake. <laughs> I'm waiting to see the full report. I know what you're implying, and I'm, well, I just... believe in him. And we may not get what we want when we want it, but I, I will continue to believe in him this until is... I'm proven to be wrong. This is a true and undying love. It's an unrequited love is what it is. As far as we know. I mean, the, the, we don't know. Bob? <laughs> Somebody told me backstage, or somebody told me at dinner, who, <laughs> that his nickname is Three Sticks, and I was like, well, really? And she's like, yeah, Three Sticks, you know, because Robert Mueller III. I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 of course. It's like, that's not information I need at this point with my relationship. Like, I'm already crushing hard. I don't need to be visualizing that sort of equation. Where did this thing come from that he has a six-pack or an eight-pack? Where did, wh- wh- why do you think he has... Because he's a Marine and they don't let themselves go. And, he's, and I've seen when he walks with his jacket swinging, the way it swings around, there's stuff under there and, and it's you, muscle. You, and you see the six-pack or eight-pack. Yeah, I know what's going on underneath men's shirts, yes. 
You can tell by the rest of his body. Just trust me, it's there, okay? If we ever see him with a belly, I'll pay you. Do you want to make- No, I want, I want you to be happy. I want it to be right. I'm just, I just, I, I thought maybe somebody had photoshopped something and sent it to you and you thought it was real. Okay. No, I don't get fake news. <laughs> Good. Good. Well, I read the book and it's great. It's very, it's, this is your sixth book. Yes. Correct, sixth book. And, um, and uh, it's intense. It's not all comedy. It's not all laughs. It's, and I want to get to some of the intense stuff. So you got Joe Biden. I really want to know what you think about Joe Biden. Um, I am so burnt out from this whole, you know, situation and the midterms that I want to be really ready to rumble in 2020 when we do have a real election. So I'm not paying attention to any of this noise right now. Other, you know, I'm reading the news. I'm not listening. I'm just burnt out and I want my life back before I have to really hit the pavement, before we all have to hit the pavement. So I'm not getting excited about candidates. Let them figure out who's the candidate. At this point, I will take a rock. So, You'll take you a know rock. what I mean? Did you have any reaction to this story a, f a few weeks ago of, of, of women coming forward saying that, that Joe Biden had, you know, touched their shoulders in ways that their I space? Think, here's what I think about that. Sorry to interrupt you, but you know how good I am at that. I think that people who come forward with stories about having your hair blown on diminish real victims who've actually had sexual assaults and been a victim to sexual assault. And we're losing, we're, lo we're losing the plot of this conversation and we're all kind of sacrificing each other. So I really wish people would get over things that aren't gonna damage you for the rest of your life. And, and respect the people who have been through something. Um. So there are a few things in this book uh, that were just interesting little revelations that I didn't know. One of them actually is a, is a quality that you have that I actually share, which is you have a very keen sense of smell. You write yeah. in the book. Yeah. And I have that as well, and it is a curse. It's so annoying. It's the worst thing in the world. It's so annoying because as soon as somebody, like I'd prefer B.O. than perfume. When people wear perfume, I wanna hit them. You know, I don't like fragrance and flowery smells, obviously, and I don't like, uh, I don't know, I have a, but I yeah, I have a real problem with smell. It's almost like the gross smells that really gross everybody else out, I don't have a problem with. Like, deviled eggs, I'm fine with. Right. Or like, like, you know, I don't know, what's another bad smell that comes out of their fridge? Like, I can handle that. Spoiled milk or something like yeah, that. Yeah, right. Yeah. Why, can you, can you handle I just, it, it's just such a horrible, quality to have, just this ability to smell things on Does people. it trigger you? It's just, when I, I, I you're the only, uh, the second person I've met that, that, uh, that acknowledges having this What curse. is the smell that grosses you out the most? Um, you know, just anything having to do with the, the digestive system. <laughs> Anything, gastro, anything gastrointestinal. Well, yeah, no one, that's not ideal <laughs> for any of us. <laughs> no, but one time I interviewed a guy and, he's, and, and it was like, I, he has poop in his pocket or something. I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what's going on, but I am not putting this interview on TV. I, it's in a vault somewhere at CNN. I'm just, I don't know what happened, but. I, well, wait, on that note. I'm eliminating it. Let me, on the poop in the pocket, I. That's a theory. It's not verified. No, I think he probably did. It sounds like he did have poop in his pocket. 
I did ayahuasca, which I talk about in my book. I went to Peru and I did this drug, this plant that they brew into tea and it's called ayahuasca. And we filmed it for, um, for Netflix. I did a special on doing drugs. And, um, and the shaman, you know, they warn you that you're gonna go to the bathroom through your tushy and you're gonna vomit. So I'm like, on camera, I'm like, really? I'm like, can't we just pick one of those two things? <laughs> do I have to do both? Um, but I didn't go to the bathroom. I didn't go to the bathroom. I've had. It happens to a lot of people. I did vomit, so my dream did come true that I could pick one. But the shaman went to the bathroom the entire ceremony in his pants and never left the room we were in. And you have a keen sense of smell. But I was so into the ayahuasca that I was able to go put that smell where it belongs. In the woods. <laughs> but I did go through that entire ceremony. I had one camera woman in the room with me and she was like, after, she goes, oh my God, how could you focus? And I was like, I was on another planet, but I smelled it. And she goes, he just kept going. And I go, oh, more than once? And she goes, yes, it was repeatedly. It's on. She goes, you can hear it on camera. So don't do ayahuasca, Jake. That's the moral of that story. I'm sure CNN is offering that as a side course. <laughs> I'm not going to Peru anytime soon, but thank you. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. If there's something that's interfering with your happiness or that's preventing you from achieving some of your goals, I want you to know that there is online counseling available for you. It's called BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in all sorts of issues. So as we all know, everybody's dealing with something. So whatever your issue is, I want you to know that there is an outlet for you. I know everybody can't afford to go to a psychiatrist or seek professional help in their personal lives. You may not have the time, but everyone can go online. It's confidential, and for uh, Life Will Be the Death of Me with Chelsea Handler listeners, you will get 10% off your first month with discount code CHELSEA. So you can get started today. Go to betterhelp.com Chelsea. Good afternoon. Would you like to try a free sample of our double fudge brownie? Oh, sure. Mmm, that's very good. I I'll just take one more, just to be sure. Yep, still very good. Some things never change. Like never being able to take just one free sample. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Mmm, is that macadamia nut I taste? Let me take one more. Sir, mm. yeah, I thought so. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. When I did your Netflix show, I have to say, you, it was, it was shortly after President, it was in the first year of the Trump presidency. And you were shot, you were traumatized, honestly. That's, that, that was the, like I, like I, you asked me if things were gonna be okay. You, you were really worried. And since then, and this is what the book is about, since then you have tried to understand why you felt that way and tried to get through the process. And one of the things that is so interesting to me is how many times you talk about in your book uh, how Donald Trump and your father, how Donald Trump reminds you of your father in some ways. Uh, talk about that if you would. So I went to this psychiatrist, I had interviewed him on my Netflix show, he, Dr. Dan Siegel, he's in my book, and I went to him because I, do you know Dan? All right, great. Who's, who's clapping for Probably Dan Dan's agent or something, I don't know. Thank you, Mrs. Siegel. 
Dan's mom is here, proud. He, I, and he just talked about the brain in a way I was interested in or I could pretend I was interested in. It was science, you know, the amygdala, the hippocampus, the prefrontal cortex and vortex, whatever it is, and, the, you know, all of that stuff. And I was like, oh, I could talk to him. He knows what he's talking about, you know. And I went to him, and for the first six sessions, I bitched and moaned about Donald Trump. I was paying somebody to listen to me because everyone was so annoyed by me. My friends were like, oh my God, can you fucking stop talking about it? And I'm like, yeah, you better pay attention. You know, I was like straight out of The Handmaid's Tale at every turn. I'm like, this is it, it's over, the world is ending. You know, I was just out of hand. My rage was so high. And I would wait, I would watch CNN and MSNBC and be like, when are they gonna do it? Like it was gonna happen any moment that they were gonna drag him out of the White House, you know what I mean? Like Saddam Hussein and throw him in something. Like I really believe that. Like, oh. <laughs> like, oh, the shoe's about to drop any minute. So I went to this guy and I was paying him to let me bitch about Donald Trump. I would have paid him double. It was a great exchange actually. And then, finally, once we got past that kind of bluster, I, he asked me what I wanted, and I said, I need more patience, I have no patience, everyone annoys me. Everyone. And he's like, do I annoy you? I'm like, you will, at some point, you will annoy me. So I would like you to help me with that. And he goes, well, let's, let's talk about your life and your childhood. I was like, I don't need to talk about my child. My brother died when I was nine, my mom's dead. She died like five years ago, 10 years, I'm not sure of time, but. Every, my dad's dying, so like that's, I'm good with death, I don't need to go over it. Like, I wanna talk about right now. I need to be a better human being, and I need to be like, kinder, and I need to be able to talk to people who disagree with me without freaking out, and my veins popping out of my neck. And then one day, he walked in to a session, and he handed me an orange that he said he had picked from his tree, and in that moment, he goes, hey, I thought you might like an orange. It's fresh from my tree. And I, I recoiled I, in my brain. I was like, ugh, how annoying. <laughs> like fucking warm fruit, who wants that? And like, now I have to peel it in front of him to be polite. This is LA, I don't even eat carbs, you know? And he handed it to me and I started to peel it and I just became undone. And I was like, I needed to tell you about the day my brother died and what happened to my family. And, and, I, and I just cried and cried and cried and cried. I was like, thank you for the orange. <laughs> you know, trying not to cry because I had never cried in front of a, a person, a stranger, no way. And if I did cry, I would always pretend it was about something else because it couldn't be about me. It had to be, or Chet, my brother, who died. It couldn't be about that because it would be vulnerable and I couldn't be vulnerable and I couldn't talk to anybody about anything. I just had to be tough. And after many sessions, he revealed to me how the world becoming unhinged with Trump was my trigger, which I'm sure millions of us had, and that that represented the world being unstable and my life not being safe anymore, and my whole world falling apart, and that's why I was reacting to Trump in the way that I was, because I finally had something to put my anger on. I could say, yeah, now this is why I'm at him, you know? 
And it was a huge eye-opener for me because if you hear my story, you can say, oh, of course that's your issue. That's why you're so fierce and tough and strong and want to be independent. I don't want a man. I don't need a man. I, I, want to, I don't need children. I'm going to show everybody I can do everything all by myself. Um, because my nine-year-old little girl never, ever dealt with that injury. It was just like a wound that became a canyon that became whatever is bigger than that. <laughs> and anytime you go around it or near it, it was like, you know, this. And he was the first person, and it was the right time in my life where I was able to say, okay, this is what happened to my family. This is what happened to my father. I lost, you know, my brother sat with me the night before he went away, and he was the oldest, and I was the youngest. And we were bookends. There were six kids in our family, and we were a team. Like, it was in my head like that. Six, and if we brought my parents, it was two. We usually didn't bring them because they were embarrassing. But the six of us were a little team. And Chet was the captain, and I was the mascot. And he said to me the night before he left for that trip, you know, I go, why are you leaving? I don't want to drive to the vineyard. We were going to Martha's Vineyard. My parents had a summer house. It sounds a lot more glamorous than it actually was, but it was idyllic in many respects. And he said, I, um, I'm going hiking with my friends. He had just graduated from college. He said, I'm going hiking with my friends for two weeks. I'm going to be on the vineyard in two weeks. You're not going to miss a thing. I'm like, I don't want to drive with mom and dad. You know, they listen to public radio. And, and he said, I'll never leave you with these people. I'll be back. And he never came back. So as a nine-year-old, what Dan explained to me was that that felt like rejection. Even though I knew he died, I thought he wasn't careful enough and he didn't think enough before he went. He shouldn't have said the things he said to me if he knew he was going to die. And to me, it was like he, it, it was rejection. It was like losing my first boyfriend or being broken up with. And you never see that person again. And then after that, what happened to my father, who was also a great big kind of character, he was never whole again. I mean, my, my father has a lot of issues, or had a lot of issues um, anyway. He's dead too now. Everybody died when I was writing this book, but um, it's okay. It was time for him to die. But <laughs> he, he fell apart and he was never, my father, when, you know, you have, you sit Shiva, you know, in Judaism and people would come to our house to say they were sorry. And I saw my father, who was this great, big, strong man, be weak and cry and fall apart in front of our neighbors. And I was nine years old and I was like, oh, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you doing good at together? You know, well, if you're gone, Chet's gone and now you're falling apart and everywhere I looked, everybody was a mess. And I remember just knowing that I was like, oh, I'm gonna have to do this myself. I'm gonna have to grow up by myself and I'm gonna have to grow myself up really quickly so I have to get away from this family because we're broken and we're broken and we'll never be six again, we're five and everyone's gonna know we're a fake family. And I have been carrying that albatross around me for so long that when it, he unlocked that pain and when I started to, I'd go home and I was like, wait a second, let me write this stuff down because doors were opening and I was like, everything was connected to Chet dying. I mean, I'd sit there and be like, this can't be about Chet too. He's like, everything's about Chet. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this guy's taking over my life. I barely knew the guy, you know? I mean, it was like, 
relationships, men, my independence, my, you know, my like just steamrolling through everything and saying yes to fame and all this money was because I didn't want to sit around and ever sit still. I'd go on tour after tour. I wrote six books in five years. Anytime there was like, you do this, I'd be like, yes, yes, to everything. Instead of sitting and thinking, have I dealt with everything that I need to deal with? Am I a full person? Can I actually, you know, what I wanted to do was go and campaign for people and speak to conservatives and go to the South, like thinking I was just like gonna come in and change the world. But I realized you can't do any of that shit until you're healthy. You can't be of use to anyone until you get your shit together. Okay, well, this sounds like a good time to take a break. To show you how easy it is to file a claim with GEICO, we hired a soap opera star. Gracious me, my car has storm damage and I've had to file a claim. Could it possibly get worse? Will my claims team leave me for someone else? Someone less intense? Um, no. Actually, when you file a claim with GEICO, you get your own dedicated claims team who promises to stay with you throughout the process. Oh, I've never known such loyalty. I can't wait for the second season. Geico. Great service without all the drama. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Is that Shakespeare? Nope. It's Geico. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Shakespeare from one of his unpublished works. Oh, it be not for awakening. Nay, give it thou the berries. For 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. No, it's from Geico because they help save people money. Well, I hate to break it to you, but Geico got it from Shakespeare. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. And, and uh, I mean, it's, first of all, let me just say, it's, it's just remarkable to hear somebody talk so openly about the pain that they went through. And it's, it's uh, yeah, yeah, because it's not easy to do. And it's a great example for everyone because we all have pain, you know, uh, from our childhoods or from experiences. It's, it's just, it's fascinating. Do you, so the kind of therapy that you did was, I don't We just did regular therapy. You know, he tried to get me to meditate. And, and again, you know, I'm from California and I live in LA and I'm from New Jersey. So I don't have a, I don't have a big high, you know, meter for bullshit. I find most people to be ridiculous. And when you hear words like manifest and gratitude and colonic and, you know, and kale, I mean, if you fall for that shit, you know, you could end up, you know, there's retreats and uh, about anything. There's a treat where you can like go finger blast yourself in the woods and eat yogurt. You know, I mean, there's something for everything. It's just ridiculous. And I always put, I'm sorry, Jake. That wasn't nice to do to you. Never heard anybody say that to me in an interview situation before. No, I've never said that to you. <laughs> That's good. That's yeah, a good thing. First, and I'm sorry you had to hear it right here in front of everybody. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Manifest your masturbation. Anyway, I assumed therapy was over in that pile of garbage. Like, oh, how could you, especially for somebody, you know, who has success. I have a TV show, I have books, I have tours, I do, you know, I basically have everything I could need. How can I sit and go to therapy and bitch and complain about anything? How can I? A. B. It's too narcissistic. 
I'm already a narcissist, obviously, so let's not put a hat on a hat. Well, hold on. Dan Siegel says you're not a narcissist. No, he says I'm not, but I mean, I have to be a little bit of a narcissist to want to be in the public eye. I think that I'm not a narcissist where I act in my best favor all the time or I'm constantly thinking about myself, but I mean, there's a degree of narcissism. I mean, Dan, he told me a lot of other things that were wrong with me, so <laughs> I think he was trying not to pile on. <laughs> But I, I did look at therapy and I kind of thumbed my, you know, I was just like, Ugh. and I went, I would go and try, you know, give it like a college try or, or whatever and be like, anytime it got deep, I'd just skedaddle. And once I went to this therapist and I just could tell I was going to be able to manipulate him and he was, and I was like, this isn't going to work. And I told my assistant, I came one day, she's like, oh, don't forget you have therapy at, you know, four today. I was like, oh, I don't want to go today. Can you just go? And, <laughs> and she's like, uh, okay. And then the next week I was like, you know, you get out of a rhythm, you're not going to go back. I was like, Can, you want to go again? I don't, I'm not into that guy. And she's like, well, I don't have to go. And I'm like, no, you go. I might want to go back to him. Just take my session. And then she went three times. And finally I said, so how's it going? Like, I go, how are you doing? Like, is he helping you? And she's like, me? I thought I was talking about you the whole time. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is stupid. So she stopped going to that therapist and so did I. So this was the first time, I guess it's psychoanalysis or whatever, you know, the phrase, the term is, he's a psychiatrist. Um, this is the first time I was willing to get real or maybe because I had the right partner to get real with. And I think for most of us, you know, I'm, yeah, it's, it's a bummer that it took me this long to figure all this stuff out and kind of unlock my pain and my, you know, because it's a lifelong habit. It sends you into... I talked to him about relationships, and I said, I don't need to, I'm not interested in a relationship, I just like to be alone. <laughs> and he's like, anytime I would say a statement like that, he would just look at me and go, uh, okay. And then when we did talk about relationships and my kind of scorched earth tendencies I have with people, when somebody would piss me off, I would just write them off. I'd be like, you're not my friend anymore, you're out. Never speak to them again. Guys, if they didn't fuck up, I made sure they fucked up so I could dump them, you know? Reject, reject, reject before anyone could reject me, always. And I said to him, I go, I don't know why I can't, why I get so mad at people and I'm not able to forgive them. And he said, because that's how you think relationships are supposed to end. Your first relationship that ended was, you know, black and white. It was there one day and it was gone the next. So that's your pattern of behavior from when you're nine. And I'm like, oh, you're like, this is so stupid. How could I not pick up on that? You know, I'm sure a million people were looking at me or my friends saying, oh, we know what her problem is, but you don't, you can't tell someone what their problem is, obviously. But I will say that, you know, through all of the stuff that our family has been through and with my brothers and sisters, it is just of such value to us and keeping us a tight-knit group and being close together. And we just are together as a team that is broken, but we have remained on each other's team. And that is so valuable to everybody here who has a weird relationship with a sibling. Fucking fix it. Life's too short. And... And it takes a big person to admit you're wrong. And, but it feels awesome. Because then you can just apologize to everybody. It's like, oh, that was me. You can, it's like going skiing and blaming everything on the altitude, you know? You're like, sorry I acted like that last night, the altitude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have, you have 
uh, one brother and three sisters, or what is it? What I you have two brothers and I have two sisters, and uh, yeah, and they have a bunch of kids, so I have a lot of nieces and nephews, eight, and uh, yeah, that's our family, and I'm finally proud of it. So, and you, you write some really nice things about your brothers and sisters. Um, speaking of family, I would be remiss if I didn't mention your dogs, uh, because I'm sure there are a lot of fans of your dog. G give, us, give us the update. Give us the doggo update, if you would. And well, I have a dogs named Bert and Bernice. They're on the cover of the book. Bert is an obese, fat one. He's on the right, and that's his little sister, Bernice. And Bertrand is his full name, and I didn't give those names to them. I went to pick him up at this... I went to a chow chow rescue. I like the black tongue situation. So I went to, and I like fucked up bodies on dogs. So I went to this chow rescue in Northern California and I said, I want a chow mix, show me what you got. And then she goes, I have a brother and sister combo platter that, you know, and I was like, combo platter? I'm like, you're speaking my language. <laughs> I was like, what, do you, what is that? Does that think what I'm thinking? <laughs> And then these two little fat beasts came running around the corner because she said they're going to be harder to place because they're brother and sister. I was like, oh, then I'll take them. I'm like, I don't even... She goes, their names are Bert and Bernice. <laughs> and I literally was like... I mean, I almost climaxed. I was like, oh, my God. Uh, what? Are those their names already? Like, that's exactly what I would have named them. <laughs> so... And then she goes, we have to do it. We're going to have to, she didn't know who I was. And she's like, we're going to have to do a home check. And I was like, all right, whatever that means. I was like, I think you're good. And she's like, we have to make sure you have enough space. I'm like, can I just show you a picture of my house or something? Like, is that necessary? But I did it. And I got these dogs and I've had dogs before and they've passed. The two of them died while I was writing this book too. This book is like a death rattle, but, but it's, but it's okay. No, it's okay. People die. And you have to just be able to deal with it in a healthy way. And my healthy way was by replacing those two dogs as quickly as possible. <laughs> <laughs> and so Bert is an asshole. And I've never had to work for a dog's love before. And so I took these dogs home. First of all, I shaved his body down so I could see what was really going on. And get under him, you know, because he's meaty and he's got flaps, inside flaps and underneath. I mean, it's like, oh, I love that dog. <laughs> and he hates me because I assault him, you know? And he loves my cleaning lady, my belle. And he, so he, he like literally sees me every time I leave the house. And I'm gone a lot because I don't stay home. I like to move around, as we've discussed. And when I come home, every single time, it's like a new introduction. Like, he just goes like this, like, what? And I'm like, oh, come on, don't, come on. You know me. And then I, they won't come up to my room, and I like to sleep with him in my bed because he's such a big cuddle ball. And so I have to take them with leashes every night up the little, up the stairs, and then up the doggy stairs. And then I get him, because he's so lazy, if he gets comfortable enough, he won't get up for hours. So I just have to get him comfortable and then slowly remove the leash so I'm not, only because of the optics of it, because I don't want to sleep with my dogs with a leash. I have no problem bringing them up, but I will not let people say that I sleep with my dogs on a leash. So they're not that into me, but it's a good lesson for me to try. He loves my cleaning lady, follows her all around the house. One weekend I came home, we found out he had gained 12 pounds since we got him. And I was like, hey, my bell, what the fuck is up with that? 
And I knew, because he was in love with her. I'm like, I know you're giving him treats. I, I, I was following the rules for the first time when we got them. I'm like, no treats, he's on a diet, and she's slipping him God knows what. And I said, they need to, he needs to lose weight because I have stairs in my house and you know, he's a big fat ass, so he's gonna lose his legs when he gets older. He's a big dog. I'm like, well, no, I'm not doing this again. I'd lost my dog, Chunk. Wouldn't be able to, he wasn't able to come up the stairs anymore when he got older and he was thin. And, um, People here love Chunk. I heard yeah, Chunk hear. is the best. Chunk is the best dog in the world, thank you. Chunk was such a, such a stud. And he was so cool, calm, and collected. You know, And Bird is the opposite of Chunk. And I know Chunk, if there is such a thing as heaven, which I don't think there is, but Chunk's somewhere around here, and he knows, and he's, he's laughing at my struggle with Bert. <laughs> and, um, and so he had to go on a diet, so I came back one weekend, and my, my belle was walking around the house in, with ankle weights, and Bert had ankle weights to match hers. <laughs> And when they walk, my cleaning lady has like a big butt and she swings her hips and then Chunk, I mean, and then Bert would walk next to her and swing his ass. <laughs> the two of them walking away together, it was like J-Lo and Kim Kardashian. <laughs> so yeah, that's my story about my dogs, but dogs are the best. They make like, you know, I won't go home to a house without a dog in it. <laughs> I hear you. Too scary. No, no, we have, we have dogs too. Um, I know you wanted to yes. read another chapter before Our we say goodbye. Our time is coming to a close. We have a clock that's telling us we have a minute. So I just wanted to read something before um, I leave you guys. Um, this is when I had my kind of wake up at the end uh, about my brother. I didn't know then that my brother's death was defining me. I didn't know that I had the ability to say no to being defined by death. Now I was the person who could help, now I was with a person who could help me process what happened and turn the parts of me that acted like a nine-year-old into a self-actualized adult who had come to a better understanding of what it means to dig deep and admit your pain, thereby beginning the process of relinquishing it. I was in a place where my brother dying no longer had to define my existence. It's part of who I am, perhaps the biggest part, but, and it may have helped me steer me in a certain direction, but it is not all of me. I define me. No event or person does this. I define who I am. I decide who I am and how I'm going to behave, and I choose to be better, to look more carefully, to trudge deeper, to think about other people's past and not judge someone for doing or handling something differently than I would, to understand my limitations, my shortcomings, that is my growth edge. There are bracelets that say I decide and t-shirts that say I decide out there because we decide who we are and I wanna thank you for deciding to come here tonight and thank you to my very special guest, Jake Tapper. Thank you guys, thank you Washington DC, stay optimistic. So how did it feel having Jake in D.C., getting to circle back to politics after taking some time off? Well, it was nice because, well, I guess we did talk about politics, but we didn't really go. It was nice to be in D.C. and to talking about something other than politics right. is what it felt like, um, even though we brushed upon it. So it was nice. And I mean, I like D.C. And, you know, until Donald Trump ruined that city, it was, it, I like it. It's yeah, old. We'll, it's old school. We'll get it back soon, I think. Just like we're gonna get the orange back, Brandon. We we're gonna and, take that fucking color back. And Journey. I mean, Journey is popping up everywhere on your social media. So you've really just gotta. I've got to grab embrace it by the, the word Journey and the band Journey. And I want to thank CNN for letting Jake Tapper out of his cage. 
I can't believe that they did that, and I know they'll regret it. Thank you. Life Will Be the Death of Me is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Time to fire up the grill. Time to go to Total Wine and find the perfect flavor to pair with those burgers. Ooh, I love their beer cooler. <laughs> you love their prices even more. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine and more. Hey guys, it's Bobby Bones. I host The Bobby Bones Show. And I'm pretty much always sleepy because I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. A couple hours later, I get all my friends together, and we get into a room, and we do a radio show. We share our lives, we tell our stories, we try to find as much good in the world as we possibly can, and we look through the news of the day that you'll care about. Also, your favorite country artists are always stopping by to hang out and share their lives and music, too. So wake up with a bunch of my friends on 98.7 WMZQ in Washington, D.C., or wherever the road takes you on the iHeartRadio app.